Brilliant. Do make sure you can um, see Habakkuk chapter 1. Uh, and as you do, just think back, if you can, um, to this time last year. January 2020, you were uh, in the King Centre. The room was full of people uh, that we could sing songs, we could have tea and coffee after the service. Think back. Remember, it feels like a long time ago. Think back to January 2020. And then think of everything that has happened since that day, everything that's happened in the last year. It's painfully obvious to say, isn't it? But 2020 has been a difficult year for all of us. It's been a year that we wouldn't have guessed, we wouldn't have predicted, we wouldn't have wished for. It's been a difficult year. And it's been difficult. And I imagine that as we come, well, as we come to the end of it and enter into 2021, we're full of questions. Uh, questions about what has happened, questions about what will happen next, questions about why it's happened. We're going to watch a short video now showing some of the questions that 2020 has left people asking. The most human trait is to want to know why. And in a year that tested everyone around the world, why was searched more than ever. The spread of the coronavirus has passed a significant milestone. And while we didn't find all the answers, we kept asking. Some questions inspired joy. Others, excitement. Life in the bubble. Yes. 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 I don't know what an improper fraction is. Teachers should make a billion dollars. We found politics, y'all. Oh my God. Put it on there and start it up for me. What are y'all doing? Yeah! It's still March. How many days in March? Some questions made us cry. You know, we've been through our ups and been through our downs. I think the most important part is that we all stay together throughout. I love you guys. Some made us worry about this spinning rock we call home. Fires were detected in the Amazon rainforest. Why were so many lives lost? Almost 1.5 million people have now died of COVID-19 worldwide. Why are we still asking the same questions? George Floyd repeatedly told the officers that he could not breathe. So why do we still have strength to continue? from thousands of protesters in cities around the world. Why are we not defeated? We have made too much progress, and we are not going back. We are going forward. Planes are starting to arrive in Beirut, full of international aid. Firefighters from around the world arriving in California. There are over 100 coronavirus vaccines in development worldwide. This is one of those times when people look out for one another and have each other's backs. We kept going for those who showed us the way. Think about how you would like the world to be for your daughters and granddaughters. Remember, the struggles along the way are only meant to shape you for your purpose. Press on with pride and press on with purpose. Why is it that this year showed its worst? 
and we still found ways to triumph. An incredible feat for Maya Gaviera. Naomi Osaka, US Open Championship. Can't let Corona stop you. Can't let quarantine stop you. So until we get to every answer, We're still searching. 2020 is a year that's left the world asking why. Why is this happening? What is going on? Why? And for some of us, I guess that question will be directed inwards, won't it? We search for answers and we think and hope that maybe we will come up with the solution. We'll be the ones to provide them. Uh, for others, we'll direct our questions of why to someone else, whether it's the government or a friend or a voice online, we'll ask someone else why. And for some of us, we'll direct those questions to God. Uh, whether you're religious or not, whether you're a Christian or not, maybe you found yourself asking, what is God doing? Why is God allowing all of this to happen? My guess is that whoever you are, whatever your experience of the last year, you start 2021 with some pretty big, pretty desperate questions. And that's why, for the next three weeks, I want us to spend some time looking at this book of Habakkuk. You see, Habakkuk, in many ways, is a person just like us. Of course, he, he lived in a very different time, in a very different place. But Habakkuk is a believer with some big questions. He's a man of faith, but he's, he's frustrated and fearful as he looks at what's going on in the world around him. And so in many ways, he's just like us. And in this short book, we get to see how Habakkuk deals with his doubts. We get to hear him ask his questions and listen in as he journeys from fear to faith. And my hope is that as we, as we listen to Habakkuk, we'll learn what it is to trust God even in the most difficult of circumstances. Like Habakkuk, we'll move from his cry in chapter 1, How long, Lord? To his declaration in chapter 3, The sovereign Lord is my strength. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to look at the first part of Habakkuk together. Our loving Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the speaking God. Thank you that you don't leave us in the dark when it comes to life in this world. And so, Father, now at the start of uh, this week, at the start of this year, we pray that you would help us to listen to you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1 says, The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. If you've read any of the Old Testament, in particular any of the prophets, you'll immediately notice that Habakkuk has an unusually short introduction. All we're told is that he's a prophet who received a prophecy from God. It's not much to go on, not much background, not much context. And that brief introduction, it's not the only unusual thing. You see, normally in the Bible, prophets speak to God uh, from, uh, to the people from God. But as we're going to see in Habakkuk, it's the other way around. Habakkuk is a prophet who speaks to God from the people. Uh, this is a conversation that we get to listen in on, to, to eavesdrop on, and to learn from. 
And the first thing we see as we listen to this conversation is that Habakkuk prays an honest prayer. Look at verse 2 with me. He says, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? The book begins with Habakkuk crying out to the Lord in prayer. And so straight away we know this is the, the response of faith. It's the cry of a man who knows and believes there is a God, a God who he can cry out to. But it seems, doesn't it, that, that this cry, this, this prayer has been something that he's been saying for some time. How long, Lord? How long must I keep calling to you? How long must I keep praying to you? Where are you, Lord? Habakkuk cries out to God in desperation, and in verse 3, you can see why. Verse 3, he says, Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? As I say, we're not told much about Habakkuk's situation, but there are a few clues in the book that help us to understand what is going on. Why is Habakkuk crying out like this? We know that, that Habakkuk comes in a dark period in the history of God's people. It's long after the glory days of King David, the, the high point of the Old Testament when God's people lived together in God's place under the rule of God's king. Under King David, things were good for God's people, but it was short-lived because after David came Solomon and things started to go downhill from there. In fact, they got pretty bad pretty quickly. And through jealousy and scheming and fighting, the kingdom was divided into two, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And whilst the, the occasional good and godly king came along, most of them were pretty terrible. And one particularly awful king was King Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim was one of the kings of Judah. And the prophet Jeremiah tells us that he was a, an unjust, brutal, godless ruler. A selfish man who had no concern for God and no care for God's people. And it's Jehoiakim's reign that Habakkuk is describing in verse 3. If you look there again, it's under Jehoiakim that the people of God are, are marked by destruction, by violence and conflict. Verse 4, they've, they've turned away from God, they've rejected his law, and so suffering and injustice is everywhere. And so here's Habakkuk standing in the middle of this mess, in the mud, as Gareth showed us, crying out, How long, Lord? How long are you going to let this godless king get away with it? How long will you let evil and injustice go on in your people? God, why, why don't you do something? Why, why didn't you act? Habakkuk stands in the mess and he cries out to God. And it seems from these first few verses that well, the only answer he's been getting is silence. And maybe, maybe you know a bit of what that feels like. At those times when it feels like you've been saying the same prayer again and again and again and again for weeks and months and years, but, but nothing seems to change. 
Maybe that's your feeling at the end of 2020. And in those moments, it's tempting, isn't it, to think of God a little bit like the sleeping Buddha. In Singapore, there's a, a temple to the sleeping Buddha. Inside the temple, there's a huge statue of Buddha. He's covered in blankets and asleep. And the idea is that, that when you go and pray to him, you lift the blankets, you slap the statue three times, and you hope that he might wake up and hear your prayer. And sometimes we can be tempted to think that that is what God is like. In times of difficulty or suffering, maybe God has just fallen asleep at the wheel. Maybe he's just stopped concentrating for a moment, stopped listening. And so we just need to come to him and and wake him up. Bring him back to reality. (laughs) As tempting as it is for us to think like that, it's not what we see going on in Habakkuk. God is no sleeping Buddha. As Habakkuk is about to discover, he does hear our prayers. He will act. It's just not in the time or the way that we might expect. And so the next thing we see is God's surprising response. Habakkuk cries out and the Lord responds in verse 5, Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. As is so often the case in the Bible, Habakkuk is about to get a whole lot more than he bargained for. He's told to stop talking and pay attention. Because God is about to turn his world upside down. And we can imagine it, can't we? We can imagine how Habakkuk might have felt at that point. This sort of mixture of of nervousness and excitement. Finally, finally God is answering my prayer. Finally, he's going to do something. Finally, he's going to sort out this mess. Habakkuk is filled with anticipation as he waits to see how the Lord will answer his prayer. But then then the shock comes in verse 6. The Lord says, I'm raising up the Babylonians. God's answer to Habakkuk's prayer, his his response to Judah's wickedness is going to be to raise up the Babylonians. To use an even more wicked, even more brutal people to bring about judgment on his own. It's a, a shocking response. And it leaves Habakkuk, as we're going to see next week, with, with a load more questions. But it's not just shocking, it's also terrifying. Because as, as the initial shock dies down and the truth sinks in, it dawns on Habakkuk that the Babylonians are coming. And that is not good news. Verse 7, they are a feared and dreaded people. A bloodthirsty, brutal nation, a rising superpower, and a law unto themselves. These people, they are obsessed with their own honor and glory. And they sweep across the earth, destroying and capturing anyone in their path. Just look at the picture painted for us in verse 8 and imagine facing this kind of threat. Verse 8 says they come with the, the speed of a horse and the ferocity of a leopard. Like wolves in the night, their only focus is to hunt and to kill. 
or like an eagle hovering and then diving on its prey. They take their enemies by surprise. Without warning, without hesitation, they strike. Verse 9, they, they move across the desert like a wind, sweeping up prisoners like grains of sand. This is a powerful, ferocious enemy, one that would strike fear into the hearts of anyone who happened to get in their way. The Babylonians, they are powerful, and verse 10 says they are arrogant. They, they mock kings and laugh at rulers. For them, taking a city is like taking sweets from a baby. Verse 11, they sweep past like the wind and are gone. Like the Nazis in Europe or ISIS in Iraq, they come like a tornado, passing through towns and cities, leaving destruction in their wake. And so you can imagine how Habakkuk must have felt as he finally got his answer. Fear and dread as the Babylonians are coming. But also shock and confusion that that this is God's response. You see, God makes it very clear, doesn't he, that, that he is the one who will do this. He will raise up the Babylonians. Yes, verse 11 says, they are a guilty and godless people. Yes, they are responsible for their own wickedness and sin, but that doesn't mean they are outside of God's control. I will raise up the Babylonians, God says. I will raise them up to bring judgment on Judah. And it's that that causes such confusion for Habakkuk. As I say, we're going to look at that confusion in more detail next week as we come to Habakkuk's second prayer. But for now, I think the big thing that we just need to see from these 11 verses is, is that God is there. He hears and he answers Habakkuk's cry. He is not a God who is asleep at the wheel. He's not indifferent to injustice. No, he is a God who hears and who acts just not always in the time or the way that we might expect. And so for the rest of our time this morning, I just want to think about what, what that means for the questions that we might have at the start of 2021. And the first thing that I hope you can see from Habakkuk's cry is that we, well, we can and should take our questions to God. We said at the start that, that Habakkuk's response to suffering and pain is the response of faith. He takes all of his questions, all of his doubts, all of his confusion to God. And we can do the same. Living by faith is not living with a stiff upper lip. Being a Christian is not meant to cause us to to bottle up our emotions, to park our questions and just plod on with life. Habakkuk sees and experiences evil and injustice and he cries out to God. What are you doing, Lord? Where are you, God? How long before you act? And he's not the only person in the Bible to pray like that. The Psalms are full of similar cries of laments, people call, calling to God in their pain and their suffering. 
And then there's Jesus. Jesus who on the cross cries out, my God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? Habakkuk, the psalmist, Jesus, they all cry out to God in times of trouble. And so can we. And so as we begin another year, a year filled with difficulty, filled with questions, we can and should cry out to God. We can come to him with all of our emotions, all of our worries, all of our doubts. And as we do that, we know we're not trying to wake up some sleeping Buddha. He is not deaf or indifferent. Now, just as Habakkuk is reminded, we come to the God who hears us. We come knowing he hears us and knowing as well that he is in control. That's the second thing that we need to remember. You see, in these first 11 verses, God reminds Habakkuk of reality. He reminds him that that he is on the throne. That no matter how things appear, the Lord God is sovereign over all. And so whether it's the unjust rule of Jehoiakim or the, the seemingly unstoppable power of Babylon, God wants Habakkuk to be in no doubt that these things are nothing compared to him. The Babylonians, they they might think they do as they please. They might think their strength is their God. But the reality is they are subject to the sovereign power of the Lord. The Lord who has no rival. The Lord who is not threatened or worried by anything in all of his creation. And again, the same is true today. God wants us to know that no matter how things might seem at the start of 2021, nothing is outside of his control. Coronavirus has not caught God off guard. He's not baffled by Brexit. The latest superpower or terrorist threat does not worry him. And so we can cry out to him. Cry out knowing that he is on the throne that he remains in charge. And finally, cry out knowing that he will act. God shows Habakkuk that he doesn't intend to to turn a blind eye or or take a hands-off approach when it comes to evil and injustice. He is well aware of the mess we have made of his world. He cares about evil and injustice and he will do something about it. He will act. Which means whilst this passage should bring us an overwhelming sense of comfort and hope as we trust in the sovereign Lord, it should also be a warning to us. Because Habakkuk, it's not, it's not a pantomime book. It's not that, that Judah are the goodies and Babylon are the baddies uh, and it's one against the other. No, no, both are guilty, aren't they? Both have rebelled against God. Both deserve his judgment. And both are sinful. And the Bible says that that evil, that that wickedness, that guilt, it is not contained to these far-off people in a far-off place. No, the reality is that by nature we are just like them. In our hearts we've all rebelled against God. Just like Judah, we have 
rejected his words. Just like Babylon, we turn to other fake gods. And so all of us, Judah, Babylon, us, we are guilty before a holy God. And so we all deserve his judgment. A judgment that will make a Babylonian invasion look like a walk in the park. So what do we do? What hope is there when suddenly we realize that the evil we cry out against is something that is in our own hearts? The answer the Bible gives is not what we do, but what God has done. You see, in the end, the reason that we today can know that God is in control, the reason we know he will act against evil and injustice is that he has already done so. We've just spent the Christmas season remembering that God's response to the evil in our hearts and the wickedness in the world is to send his son, Jesus Christ. Not to destroy us like a Babylonian army, but to die for us as a sacrifice. On the cross, Jesus took the the full force of God's righteous anger against our sin. And he did that so that instead of experiencing God's judgment, we could know his forgiveness. Instead of standing as God's enemies, we could be welcomed as his friends. And as we saw in Acts chapter 2 last term, the cross was God's plan all along, wasn't it? It was his plan to, to use the very worst of human evil, the killing of his son, to bring about the very best for humanity, forgiveness and salvation for all who believe. And so it's because of the cross that we can cry out to God with confidence. Yes, we might not have the full picture now. We might never see the full picture. Like Habakkuk, we might still have loads of questions. But whatever our questions, whatever our doubts, the cross says that we can know for certain that God is in control. We can know for certain that he is good. We can know for certain that he will act to make things right. And he will do so in his way, in his timing, for his glory and for our good if we trust in Christ. Let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning acknowledging you are the sovereign Lord of all. Father, you are bigger and greater than anything and everything that we might face or experience today or this year. Father, thank you that because of Jesus, that truth fills us with confidence and hope. Not that we might have the answers, not that we might have the solutions or the strength to make it through this year, but that you do. That you are good, that you are powerful, and that because of Jesus, uh, we are yours. Father, help us to trust you today. Help us to trust you in the year to come, we pray, for your glory. Amen.